Hello, welcome to Radio Pulse, the sound of NUS. I'm Javier. And I'm Malvika. And we are adulting. Hashtag adulting. Yeah. So what is hashtag adulting all about? It's a show where we give you the manual to surviving life after university life. So this is our first episode. And in this episode, we'll be covering personal finance. Yes. So why are we covering personal finance? The answer is personal finance is very is an integral part of everybody's life because personal finance is a journey where we try to save for our retirement, save for our first big purchase in our housing, or maybe even a car. So this is why personal finance is important because it allows us to hit our financial goals and to retire comfortably. So my question to you is, do you know when you are ready to start personal finance ever? No, and I don't think a lot of people are educated in the sense of personal finance. So I think that's why we chose this episode to be the start of our adulting series because we think it's really, really important in terms of your general life goals. So um, to kick the series off, should we begin with our first question? Yes, sure. Let's start with our first question. Okay, so what are some things that I need to account for when designing a budget? Uh, yes. Designing a budget is definitely one of the key steps in uh, personal finance. And to start off, before knowing how to design a budget, you definitely need to know what is your expenses like. So keeping track of your expenses for maybe two to three months will definitely be a good gauge as you will need to know what are the stuff that you are spending on so that maybe in the future, if you want to cut down on your expenses, you know what kind of uh, stuff that you should focus on. So for example, if you're spending, if 50% of your expenses is on food, is it too much? What kind of food are you buying? These are stuff that you might include inside your uh, expenses uh, sheet so that you know, so you can account for where you are spending your money. So after taking into account how much you are spending, uh, you can start categorizing uh, to design your budget. So for example, I would like to budget myself $500 a month to spend on to, uh, to spend on the different uh, needs and wants. So maybe it can be 50% into food, 20% into maybe transport, such because uh, transport isn't free, right? So, and the remaining 30% can be for recreational purposes. So this is stuff that you will consider based on your current expenses and how you want to reduce them if you are looking to reduce them currently. So regarding the budget, uh, definitely, after keep uh after tracking your expenses, it becomes a much more easier process, whether to decrease or how to manage. Okay, so other than expenses, um, should we should we follow a certain rule when it comes to budgeting, such as the 50-20-30 rule or any other rules that you recommend? Oh, I think that was something that I left out when I was talking about budgeting just now. Definitely, when we budget, we have to take into consideration our entire uh, salary. So we have to budget into what are the proportions that we have to save, what are the proportions that we are going to spend, and definitely what are the what is the portion that we are going to maybe uh, use for recreation or something. So based on the rules, some people will say that 50% will be spent on your needs, 30% will be spent on your wants, and 20% will be spent on uh, your, your uh, saving for your retirement. So this is the general rules that people go by. But for myself, I would prefer to save 50% and spending the other 50% on my needs and wants. 
So balancing it based on my current status as I'm currently single so I can afford to spend more on my wants. But if you have a child, then definitely your needs will definitely go up. All right. So you suggest to not save up for retirement and, and as soon as you start out, is it? No, definitely you have to save for your retirement as soon as you start out. So the 20% that I mentioned just now is uh, that most people go by is to save for their retirement. Okay. So, so for example, your goals can be, uh, for example, you, 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 have, you want to set a goal for housing. Then saving for that can be under maybe your uh, wants or like your needs, taking a portion of it out. But definitely everyone should try to save at least maybe 20% on their, on their income monthly so that they are able to have a more comfortable retirement in the future. Okay, so, um, you know, as we move past uh, certain stages in life, obviously our incomes change, our expenses change. As you mentioned, when we have a child, we have to think about different expenses. So how often do we have to update our budget and, and what are some pointers you provide to in terms of maintenance and reviewing of our budget? I think one good practice is, as I mentioned now, is to constantly track your expenses, not just to prepare for uh, starting to budget, but also to when you uh, when you review your budget on an annual basis. As our annually, I, I would think that most people will have an increment, and this is when it is a good time for us to review our budget and to decide where uh, what areas can we work on and what areas should we be thinking about on building so for example if you have a three percent pay raise it doesn't mean that you equally distribute this three percent into the respective category so the thing is that you could your needs does not uh, may not increase because you are currently still living the same lifestyle that you are and the, the dangerous thing about not having a budget is that you are definitely subject to lifestyle inflation so what is lifestyle inflation exactly lifestyle inflation is what happens when uh, your the your needs and wants increase at the same pace as your income or even exceed it. So for example, maybe you might have two times your income, but uh, you also have two times your expenses, or it could be even much much higher. So for example, one thought is like maybe uh, you are earning three thousand currently and you like to eat cai peng. I mean, cai peng is definitely the most epitome of like the budget food, right? Then maybe when you are earning six thousand, you decide every meal you go out to a restaurant. This is an example of like lifestyle inflation that a lot of people are susceptible to because they have the mindset that I have the money now so I can definitely afford something better for myself and I want to treat myself. It is okay to treat yourself once in a while but you do have to keep tabs on your expenses and to make sure that it is not uh, increasing at a, a too fast pace and maybe even outpacing your salary increment. Hmm. So apart from lifestyle inflation, I'm sure there are situations in which all of us have unexpected expenses in, on a yearly basis. So um, what should I do if I have expenses that don't fit into my budget or um, how can I account for this in my budget? I think there's a variety of ways where we can do it. But personally, I would love, uh, personally, my favorite option is to uh, use the, if it's a need, then I would start saving up from the need portion of my money income to meet that need in the future. 
Yes, this may be an unexpected expense, so I will try to save up even in the needs and the wants category. I'll save up a portion so that if any unexpected expenses in the future come out, I can use uh, the money from this category. And this category is also used to fulfill uh, the minimum sum that uh, my bank accounts have. As I'm sure you know, some banks accounts have a minimum sum of $500, some have a $3,000 minimum sum. So by using uh by saving up this money you can also at the same time meet this uh minimum sum imposed by the banks so how do i know how much i have to invest or set aside for investments on a monthly basis i think it's up to a personal preference i mean if you go by what most people would say it would definitely be in the range of 20% and above but some people might not be able to commit to it like for example if you are a couple and one uh, party is currently working but the other party is not working uh, and you do have a child, then you are definitely not able to have that 20% uh, savings rate that uh, is recommended. So it definitely depends on the situation. So, but I would definitely recommend the more you can save, the better it is. Because you never know when you lose your job, in, especially in a black swan event like COVID-19. Or maybe your company would uh, just suddenly go under due to some unforeseen circumstances. So it's best to definitely build up emergency fund and also save during the good times and so that you have money to rely on during the bad times. Hmm. Okay, so this ties in well with our next topic, which is based on investments. And so how do I know if I'm ready to invest? I think you are ready to invest the moment you start earning your first paycheck, which can be during your uh, 16-year-old, your O-levels, maybe post-O-levels, which uh, you started working part-time job or maybe post A-levels or during your poly holidays where you're starting to do a part-time job. That's definitely a good time to start learning about investment but not necessarily invest yet because ultimately you need to be 18 in Singapore before you can open an account. So the thing is that uh, it is never too early to start learning about investment and I do preach the idea that uh, parents should teach their kids financial literacy from a very very young age by teaching them the values of saving and the value of uh, compounding compounding after all compounding is the eighth founder of the world says Albert Einstein so yeah okay so um, and, and are there different types of investments and maybe could you go through the advantages and disadvantages of each oh this will be a very big topic so to start off I will share about uh, what most people are uh, familiar with fixed deposit. Fixed deposit is uh, one kind of asset where you put the money in, like for example, you put a fixed amount in the bank and they guarantee you the interest for in exchange for locking up your money for that period of time. So this the, the thing about this is that uh, there is not much, there's flexibility in that you can withdraw it anytime, but you will lose the interest on it. But the downside is that the interest is extremely, extremely low. So most people will advocate for you to go for bonds. Bonds are uh, debt securities where, so it, it may be issued by companies or governments to finance their spend expenditure. So the good news, uh, the good side about bonds is that most bonds have a fixed coupon payment at the uh, point of inception. So for example, if it says 4%, they will pay 4%. Uh, maybe semi-annually or annually depending on the terms of the bond. The, that, that's the good point then. It's, uh, the coupon rate is uh, guaranteed and they owe you the money. So the returns are in a sense guaranteed. But 
the downside is definitely the company may go under and you may not get back your principal bank or even the interest so you still have to do uh, selection when it comes to which companies are you buying bonds from yeah so that is uh, the pros and cons of bonds there's definitely much more pros and cons of bonds but it will be a very long talk if we will go to into it so moving on into stocks as we all know stocks is volatile returns are not guaranteed and it's a very very risky thing but one way people use to reduce the risk is definitely uh, buying into ETFs. So what is ETF? ETF is known as exchange traded funds. So usually these ETFs are like a bus they contain a basket of stocks. So for example, talk about S&P 500. Uh, the S&P 500 has 500 stocks from the US market and they they are used to measure the is one of the metric used to determine the performance of the US stock market because the big companies are in there for example your Microsoft your Apple and all this stuff so by inv investing in this ETF you do reduce the company specific risk so for example if one Apple uh, for example Apple one day goes bankrupt it does not affect your uh, uh, your investments as much as buying only Apple so by Investing into such ETFs, you are essentially diversifying your risk and it's a recommended practice. Of course, you still have to select what kind of ETFs you buy. So for example, there are also, what we would recommend is definitely for you to buy passive uh, ETF, which is those that track an index compared to actively managed uh, ETFs. But actively managed ETFs also has their own benefits in that they may have higher returns but the thing is that, as people say, it's not easy for us, uh, for anyone to beat the market, even hedge fund managers or those uh, fund managers. So my own personal experience is that I do invest in uh, passive ETFs. So basically, your returns are just follow the market. Yeah, this is these are the three most common types of investments I see around. Even though fixed deposit, I don't think it's called an investment. Mm. Uh, yeah, then you can go into options and derivatives, but that is a topic for another day because it is a very, very complex thing. And it's not recommended for you to touch because options and deriv derivatives products are very, very complex. And to understand, it's best for you to understand how it works before investing into them. And it may take uh, months and months of uh, learning and maybe practice with like demo account before you can be even be comfortable investing into those products. Okay, that's interesting. So um, you mentioned the three main types of investments I can make. So as a beginner, where do you think um, I should invest first? I think definitely one as a beginner, you can consider a mix of bonds and uh, bonds and uh, stocks. So what we what some people would recommend is that the the lazy people strategy is to put in a 60-40 uh, distribution for bonds and stocks. So you invest 60% into stocks and 40% into bonds. So for example, if I'm saving $1,000 this month, I buy $600 of uh, stocks ETF and $400 of uh, bond ETF. Then I'll just, uh, so then on a monthly basis, I'll just do this every single month until I retire. And I will get a pretty uh, big retirement sum at the end of the I'll get yeah I'll get a big retirement sum at the when I retire 
this is one of the strategies used by um, the people. I mean, the people call this the lazy strategy because it's a you. It's a very passive strategy. You just have to set it up, and you can forget about it and wait to collect the money when you retire. The downside is that this strategy fails when the ETS when the countries you invest in goes bankrupt. So there's a lot of arguments that and what happened if uh the the uh, the stock mark, the stock goes to zero what happened if my ETFs lose all the value so the only possible scene is for example if i invest in the singapore uh which is the straight time index the singapore index straight time index uh the only time when i see it possibly going to zero and your investments going to zero to zero along with it is when singapore goes bankrupt but at that point in time you have more to worry because even if you put in cash I'm pretty sure your SGD is not worth anything at, at the same point. So at that point in time, I don't think you need to care about your investment that much when you don't even have money left. I, I don't even think your house is worth anything. So what assets are actually truly uh, like uh, risk-proof? So I, another thing is that I do feel is that as people who are working in Singapore, uh, it w- I would recommend to invest in maybe a US-based ETF such as S&P 500 because when we are working in Singapore, we are already subject to the currency risk and having all assets denominated in SGD is definitely a risk because if anything happens to Singapore, we do not have any assets that are like for a foreign nature. So if you, have, if you invest in S&P 500, at the very least, you still have your US-based stock and unless USD collapse together with SGD, then you are, I mean, you're in a very bad spot. I can just say, I think you have more to worry, maybe what's going on with the world than your investments are. Okay. Um, and so I think you touched upon a little bit of the next question, but um, what are some common investment strategies um, that people use? Other than the ones I mentioned, uh, usually, as I, I mean, usually as I mentioned, people will go into a mix of bonds and uh, stocks. So by basically buying into the ETS, because that is the most passive strategy and that's the easiest way for you to get started without much knowledge. Because you just have to know that in the long run, the market goes up. So you just have to trust the market. But uh, one thing that I failed to mention just now is that usually people, the 60-40 percent I mentioned, people will usually rebalance them. So how do they rebalance it is that, for example, I have 1000 uh my $600 worth of shares went up in value but my $400 in bonds dropped down in value. So when I invest the next month, I would invest in the, in the proportion such that my assets will go back to the 60/40 allocation. At the same time as we age, we will usually reduce the proportion in stocks and increase the portion in bonds so that we will reduce the volatility of our investments. Because as we near retirement, we want to reduce our volatility. So one good, one measure that some people might use, I won't call it good because I mean it's subjective. So one measure that some people might use is that uh, they will take 100 minus your age as the percentage to put in stocks. So for example, if I'm 25 this year, then I'll put 75% in stocks and 25% in bonds. So as you age, then you can go down. Another people, some people use 90, some people use 80. It's up to you. Uh, the strategy is perfectly fine as long as you are comfortable with the risk level that you are taking and you know what you are doing. Okay. Of course, there are also other uh, 
investment strategies such as uh, some people who would like to even more passive, they will invest in maybe endowment products offered by insurance companies or uh, or even uh, other kinds of different assets such as housing. But every asset has its own uh, goods and bads and that you should do your research before you uh, put your money into. Mm. Okay, so I think that about that wraps up our um, topic on personal finance and, and our episode for this week. Uh, our topic on personal finance barely scratches the surface of the iceberg. So if you are interested about personal finance, do uh, do look for online resources that are offered. There are a lot of great websites that, Singap- uh, that uh, Sing- Singapore has that covers the topic of personal finance. So then another way, another place where you can get your information is from the Institute of Financial Literacy. It's a collaboration between MoneySense, which is a government, is which is a government board, and Singapore Poly, and they aim to teach personal finance and financial literacy for free to the public in Singapore. So if you are do interested, if you are interested, do check them out. Uh, other than that, if you have any questions for us, do feel free to DM our Radio Pals. Instagram and let us know what kind of topics you want to hear in our adulting hashtag adulting uh, content. So if you want us to touch about more more personal finance, uh, maybe we'll have it. So see you guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.